Jerome Powell's not the only president giving speeches today, as is the U.S. president, Mr. Joe Biden. Jeff Kleintop is here with us this morning to walk us through some of the policy-related news flow and some of the international themes on the macro picture. He's a global investment strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, good morning, sir. Good to see you. Morning, Oliver. Good to be with you. We got Jerome Powell, our highlight this morning, but we've got uh, the president, president later on in the day. Uh, who's going to be the highlight for investors? Uh, well, the market's probably going to be more focused on Powell, and it's not just Powell. I mean, Powell's probably going to dampen some market optimism over interest rate cuts later this year, but there's a lot of central banks where we've got priced-in rate cuts in the second half of the year, not just from the Fed, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and I think all that's a risk given the stronger data that we're seeing and the impact of China's reopening. I think on the State of the Union from the President, you know, look, there'll be some discussion of the debt ceiling, a few other issues. Surprises are possible, but historically, most State of the Union speeches see less than a 1% move in the stock market on the following day. And that's probably likely again this time, given that any any major themes Biden puts forth are going to face pretty, pretty low odds of passage in a Republican-controlled House. Okay. So the um, major market impact from the Washington, uh, well, I guess they're both Washington, so the White House side of policy would be spending. Do you think they're going to, uh, do you think we'll hear the president uh, talk about spending initiatives? Uh, well, I think he's going to talk a bit about the, uh, a lot of the initiatives that he, the number the number one issue i think for the for the president is trying to claim some victories uh, over the last year or so heading into a period where he's not going to have many right so i think this is more of a look back than a look forward i don't expect a whole lot coming out of the uh the, the state of the union speech obviously uh, he's at loggerheads with republicans over a number of different key issues and i think this will maybe be shaping up to hear maybe some of the themes that he'll use with regard to the campaign we're already in the campaign for 2024 so we might hear some of those themes uh, brought forth, and that might be interesting to the market, but it's really longer lived in all of this. The real um, nearer term issue is that debt ceiling. <clears throat> he might signal that he's open to talks, but that he's you know quite firm about some of the uh, 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 spending initiatives that uh, he'd like to see and, and uh, holding a line on, on uh, uh, tax cuts and trying to bring tax uh, increases back. We'll have to see where that goes. I don't anticipate a whole lot here that's going to move the market. I think mm. instead it's more on the, the central bank side and what we're going to see here uh, from Powell today. And then, of course, the data later this week on jobless claims and uh, University of Michigan on Friday. What about the uh, potential for discussion of U.S.-China uh, relationships? Given the balloon, given the semiconductor stuff, uh, there's more than uh, just uh, the past weekend and some of the tension between the two nations. You talked to us a little bit about this last afternoon. Give us the rundown for those who missed, Jeff, how you're thinking about that relationship. Yeah, this is a really good point. So you bring up more Washington policy stuff here, but this could actually have some impact. There are a number of potential U.S.-China flashpoints that could be of greater consequence for markets in the coming weeks than the balloon issue. Uh, and that's uh, a number of different things. We know last November in Bali, President Xi Jinping and Joe Biden pledged to stabilize the U.S.-China relationship. And as the administration said repeatedly, the purpose of the Blinken trip, which is now off, 
temporarily at least, was to establish some kind of floor in those deteriorating relationships. Uh, despite the balloon incident, I think the U.S. still wants to do that. But you've got House Speaker Kevin McCarthy may visiting uh, may visit Taiwan in April. And reaction to that trip could be similar to what we saw with Pelosi last fall. That could further fuel tensions. We've got another potential flashpoint is if Chinese companies are found to be providing significant aid to Russia's war effort, overall, it's looked like China has refrained from providing material help. But a few recent press reports suggest there might be more military equipment sales than previously thought. That's being investigated. We'll see where that goes. And the biggest unknown for investors concerning U.S.-China economic relations is how far-reaching the administration's forthcoming executive order on outbound investment will be. Some inside the administration are pushing for a modest proposal for a limit on uh, a narrow range of industries like AI and certain high-tech equipment. But others are pushing for a broader approach that will limit all sorts of U.S. investment in Chinese firms. So there'll be a lot of uncertainty over all that. But all that said, Oliver, a continued rise in tensions with the U.S. this year is probably unlikely to have much impact on Chinese economic recovery. That's going to depend mostly on domestic strength there post the COVID rebound and consumer demand. And that's been what's been driving China's and EM stocks rather than geopolitics. Okay. Uh, Jeff, so uh, I love the, the, the international picture, the policy and the White House picture, but I got the Fed in front of me. So let's go back there for a sec with Jerome Powell. You've got a nice way to visualize the difference between changes in central banks around the world and how that uh, really puts in perspective the decline in the dollar, which the last few days is like trying to turn around. Um, so that differential between the Fed and the rest of the world, we saw last week 25 versus 50 across the pond and our 25 here is suddenly kind of looking a little bit light. Yeah, that's right. And and so we've seen we've seen a lot of volatility in the dollar resulting from this, right? Everyone seemed to be confident that the dollar was headed for a regime of weakness here. And now we've seen renewed strength lately uh, on, on this idea that, well, maybe there's more coming from the Fed and the idea of cuts later this year might might uh, evaporate. But I think the answer to whether we're seeing a material reversal of the dollar weakness is also linked to the outlook uh, obviously in the euro and the yen, and the yen might be a function of who succeeds Haruhiko Kuroda at the Bank of Japan when he steps down in April. Deputy Governor Masayoshi Amiata uh, is um, a, a widely expected to follow him. He's a dove. Uh, he was uh, very much uh, aligned with Kuroda on much of these issues. But if Prime Minister Kishida goes for a hawkish appointment, it's possible, with a candidate like uh, Hirohide Yamaguchi taking the post, for instance, the yen could rally back. And I think that's one of the bigger questions here, is who's going to be running the BOJ, given that a lot of the dollar strength or weakness is against the yen. Mm. Very important uh, perspective here. And not really clear. The candidates are going to be announced. It was supposed to be announced this week, going to be announced next week. So a lot of speculation around that. Okay. And um, the kind of surprising uh, hawkish tone that was um, showed up a few times from those uh, BOJ reports definitely uh, makes makes that story more interesting. Um, uh, but for them, they're coming off such a low level that the real hikes are is still coming from uh, uh, the Western nations that have uh, emerged from COVID, right. uh, U.S., uh, U.K., Canada. But a lot of the uh, uh, direction now, I guess, is is flipping negative to some extent. Judging by your chart, it kind of looks like uh, the change in 
the last six uh, months from uh, the ECB and the Eurozone kind of makes them look the most uh, uh, hawkish at this point. Yeah, so this is this is kind of an interesting chart because what it shows is the market's expecting obviously some more hikes from the world's major central banks, but then in the second half of the year, cuts to varying degrees, and we'll see how uh, Powell shapes that narrative around the Fed. That was more 50 basis points of rate cuts on, on Friday prior to the, uh, the the data release. So we are seeing uh, a little bit more of, of that that blue line kind of shrinking a little bit there for the U.S and uh, remaining in place for some of the others. We'll have to see, obviously the Reserve Bank of Australia came out, said, yep, we, you know, we're hiking by 25, and there's probably another 25 in there. So that uh, peak rate moved a little bit higher. We're kind of seeing this across the board. It's not just the Fed. Higher peak in rates, and then maybe a more modest outlook for cuts in the second half of the year. I think this is a, a, a something that's going to go even further, meaning the market's going to trim those expectations for cuts even further. Not only do we have stronger than expected data in the U.S., we're also seeing that in Europe very consistently. And now, of course, with China's reopening, adding more fuel to the upside of potential inflationary pressure, I think the idea of rate cuts around the world from central banks later this year it's probably going to evaporate all right great stuff uh, jeff kleintop uh, taking us uh, out of our myopic day-to-day uh, -day view here of the charts to give us some good policy implications for markets and also of course uh, the central bank uh, momentum uh, that'll be in focus here this morning appreciate it mr kleintop chief global investment strategist at charles schwab